Our text for today comes from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, as, uh, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, uh, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all uh, one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. All right. Again, thank you for bearing with us this morning. Um, it's like I was, when I used to lay in front of my stereo at home when I was growing up, my little mono stereo, and play kid and play tapes to myself. And that's what it sounded like. That's what it sounds like in the room today. All right. What a week, right? Did anybody have an, as exciting of a week as I had? No one? Man, nothing, right? No, nothing exciting took place this week. There's a lot going on in our world, isn't there? A fair amount of things. Uh, I don't know about you, it feels a little bit like somebody put me in a washing machine for four straight days, like, and I've just been going through the, the spin cycle in the washing machine, and my, my synapses are a little fried today. I just felt that there was, uh, I just felt like I've been put through the ringer. I don't know what it was, but here we are today, together, we're at church, and it's good. Uh, we are here again to participate in this beautiful rhythm, really, that we step into, where the church gathers together and we remind ourselves of who we are and who we worship. We rightly align ourselves behind this corporate practice of being in the church, and we kind of, really, just get to take a deep breath together. We just get to take a deep breath together, which sometimes is all you really need, right? Just to take a deep breath But this week, we are picking up in our series on the church we're calling Visible Kingdom. Uh, We took a break last week to talk about politics. If you were with us or you joined us online for that, um, that will be the last time I ever do that, all right? So no more, never again. Uh, I'm just going to pretend that politics aren't a thing and that it doesn't exist. Uh, And if that, I hope that treats me well, okay? Uh, That's not true. I like it too much. I'm just, I'll just take a little break, and then I'll talk about it again later. Uh, but we're talking about the church today. 
We're talking about the church, which is this global, multi-ethnic, multi-national family of Jesus people in the world. The church is an institution of grace that's established around Jesus and centered around Jesus. The church, this beautiful bride of Christ, the scriptures tell us, that is... uh, was formed specifically to shine the light of Jesus into dark places. You see, when I open the Bible and I read about Jesus and I read about the church, my heart, I don't know about your heart, but my heart stops racing a little bit. And I'm able to kind of recenter, refocus myself on the things that really matter. And so today, my, my hope was that after the week that we've had, right, and all the things that have been going on in our world, we can kind of recenter on the central truth of the scriptures and hear from the Apostle Paul this morning a little bit about how we are called to order our lives as a church, as God's people. And so that's, that's, my, that's my hope, that the, that the pulse rate of our, uh, all of our collective pulse rates will kind of lower and we can focus in on what the, uh, on what the scriptures have to tell us this morning. Is that all right? Can we do that? All right. I appreciate it. Now, in our teaching text for today, in 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, what Paul is doing here is correcting the Corinthian church. If you've ever read the letter of 1 Corinthians, you know Paul is dealing with a lot of problems, like a significant number of problems. It's clear from the context of this passage that the Corinthian church was very, very messed up. They had a lot of problems. They were crazy. They were hyper-spiritual, and their gatherings were a total and complete mess. People were getting drunk. Uh, We learned earlier in 1 Corinthians 11, people were getting drunk at their common meals and kind of belligerent, Uh, and and there was all kinds of other weird stuff that was taking place in the church. Paul calls out one guy for having an improper relationship with his mother-in-law in this book, which is not good. And apparently, people in this church were interrupting and dominating one another when they gathered up together in their their meetings, in their worship gatherings, like we're doing today. And so nobody could get a word in edgewise, and everybody was kind of trying to put in their two cents, and everybody was yelling over one another. And it seems that the purpose for—the reason they were doing this was because they wanted to look like spiritual people. They wanted to be viewed as the spiritual ones. And so if they, if they spoke up and if they kind of stepped on other people's toes, then they would be viewed as the ones who had spiritual authority, that they were the ones with power, and that the, they would get all the accolades that came along with it. And what that created in the Corinthian church was basically just a kind of cacophonous mess, right? No one really understood what everyone else was saying. No one was edified in any way, shape, or form through the gathering together. And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, is addressing all of these abuses. If you read, the, if you're familiar with the book of Corinthians, you kind of begin, the more you read it, you begin to pick on the kind of pick up on the just exasperated tone that Paul is writing with. He's trying to deal with these crazy Corinthians. He wants them to get their gatherings under control. And so verse, uh, chapters 12 through 14 is all about helping this church to get their gatherings under control so that those gatherings would become edifying, that they'd become uplifting experiences for people, that people wouldn't walk out going like, what happened in church today? And the other person would go, I don't know. Jason was yelling at me. That's all I, that's all I could make out. 
Uh, Paul wants to help. There's no Jasons in the room today, right? And if there is, just don't yell at each other. Um, uh, But Paul is trying to help this, this church get their worship gatherings under control. But if you ask me honestly about what Paul is doing here, I think he's actually digging deeper into the situation that's occurring in Corinth than just trying to help them have an orderly worship service. I don't think that's Paul's top priority. I don't, that's, I don't think that's the main thing he's after. He wants that to happen for sure. But really what I think he's, what he's going after in, our, in the teaching text we read for today and in the larger context of 1 Corinthians is that I think he is, he is going after an individualistic mindset that says, that some people had in the Corinthian church where they said things like, I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to set myself apart from these other people. I'm going to be, if you will, the greatest among them. I'm going to be the one. And I want to try to get all the shine for myself. To be honest with you, I think what he's addressing in this church, but maybe also in us, is this impulse that we all have for status-driven achievement for a kind of status-driven achievement. Now, this impulse for status-driven achievement, achievement is more a problem for some of us than others of us. If, you, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, this is the, this is the issue that Enneagrams 3 deal with more than any other of those personality types. But we all have this impulse towards a kind of achievement where we want to intentionally distinguish ourselves from others uh, in order to have the admiration of people. I think we all have this impulse in our hearts in some way, shape, or form. This, uh, the, this impulse to be admired by the crowds, to be admired by people. And what Paul says is that the church is not a place where we work towards individual achievement and status. This is what he's kind of attacking in this passage. It's not the type of place where the powerful people, where the successful people, or the eloquent people, or the beautiful people get all the shine, and everyone else just kind of watches and admires. It's not the type of place that the church is. No, the church is a place where everyone is seen, everyone is seen, and everyone is valued where everyone, regardless of their station, brings their gifts to the table and contributes. The church is not a place where only the pretty and the talented people get honor. Thank God for me, right? I, that would be bad for me if that, was the, if that was the case. And the image he uses to help the Corinthians understand what he is talking about here is this image of a body, of a body with different body parts. Now, as I said, it this is difficult for some of us to understand, but I think naturally we all have this uh, predisposition to want to distinguish ourselves. We want to we be seen as something, uh, something big, something important. Some of us want to be seen as powerful. Some of us want to be seen as simply successful. We want people to kind of go, yeah, Nick's a success. Some of us want people to see us as wise or smart. Other people just want to be attractive, right? We just want to be attractive to other people in some way, shape, or form. And the reason we want those things is because we have mistakenly believed that our value is tied to individual achievement. 
that our, that our value is, is derived from what we as individuals can achieve. Basically, this is what social media in our day does, right? It, it, its whole purpose, in a lot of ways, is to heighten individual achievement. To, to put out into the world a version of myself that is hopefully consumable for the masses, right? And this is what we do, right? When we, when we, when we share on social media, we tend to put forward our best selves. We tend to. Uh, this is why when you see a picture of a, of a family on, on some social media platform, you go, oh, what a beautiful family. And you don't realize that, like, those people threw dishes at each other's heads 24 hours ago, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just slightly deceptive. It, the platform uh, makes it that way. And this is not an indictment of social media. And if you want to put pictures up of your family up there, like, go for it. I love it. I love seeing you guys. But... The truth of the matter is, is that we just have a culture that's conspiring against us to try to convince us that individual achievement, the external uh, markers of achievement are the things that we need to drive at in order to see ourselves and to see other people as successful. You know, smart people get into good colleges, right? And they get good jobs. Attractive people are, tend to be just treated better than non-attractive people, Right? I knew a guy in college. We were out to we went out to a restaurant in college. It was kind of a cool place. And the manager, in a totally unsolicited way, walked up to our table and he, he looked at my friend and he said, Would you like a job? And and I was like, What what's going on here? Why is why I've never been offered a job randomly when I was eating at a restaurant. And I realized I, I realized it's because he's attractive. And this guy, this manager, saw that the, my attractive friend walked in and was like, I would like this attractive person to, walk, to work at my cool restaurant, right? And I remember thinking to myself, why didn't he offer me a job? <laughs> I would have really enjoyed a job. Uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is this, this happens in society. If you watch 30, uh, 30 Rock, the Tina Fey show, she has, a really great, uh, she has a really great segment with John Hamm where she talks about the bubble where attractive people end up in the bubble and then they actually end up learning no real life skills. They just get given everything their whole life. Like John Hamm thinks he's really good at tennis and he's bad at tennis, that type of thing. Anyways, um, but this happens in all facets of society, doesn't it? This happens in all facets of society. And it, and it appears from the perspective of Paul that it was also happening in the church that he's addressing in Corinth. It was also happening in the church. Uh, people were acting in ways so that, they could, so that they could seem spiritual from the outside. And I know what this type of spiritual environment is like because I went to a little place called Bible College uh, that's where uh, that's where nerds go to study the Bible. If you're wondering what Bible college is, and uh, I went to a college where if you were perceived to be a, sp- a quote unquote spiritual person, there was a reward for that. You got a leg up. I remember I was having a conversation with an upperclassman one day. I think it was a freshman, and uh, we we were talking about how to get dates. This was the conversation we had, which I just t- completely struck out at. Just for the record, but. Uh, <laughs> but he said to me, Nick, you know how you get a date at this school? I said, no, I have no idea how to get a date at this school. That's why I'm talking to you. Uh, and he said, here's what you do. When the next, we had chapel every day, right? So we went to church every day. Just think about that. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, that, here's what you do. The next time 
there's you're you're in a service and there's somebody speaking, you're somebody preaching, and it's like a powerful moment. Stand up when everybody else is sitting down and put your hands in the air. It'll make them think you got the anointing. And I was like, what? I was like, I say, apparently, if you make the girls think you got the anointing, this is how you get dates at this school. It was incredible. Uh, and I got no dates. Um, make them think you got the anointing. It's always what goes through my head. But, uh, <laughs> but we have this natural propensity to want to separate ourselves, don't we? We have this natural propensity to, wanna, to, for, to want to position ourselves in such a way as that people would see us and approve of what we do. Uh, but here's the truth. Even if we achieve that thing, even if we get the notoriety from the outside that we're looking for, it's momentary. It doesn't last forever. Ask any star athlete who's achieved to the highest levels of their sport, right? And what happens? They get old and the young guy is better than them and they kind of fall off. Ask anybody who's achieved to the highest levels in their profession, and you know that even if they stay there for a while, it's a momentary thing. It doesn't last forever, and it most certainly doesn't define their identity moving into the future. You see, achievement or being viewed as a success is a fleeting thing. It's something that goes away. It's momentary. And yet we're all after it in some way, shape, or form. We all want to be viewed a certain way. We care about what people think about us. And I'm not saying we shouldn't care in any way about what people think about us. But as a motivating factor in our lives, we desire this, uh, this individualistic, value-based achievement. And we, put, and, we, and we say, we put, we, we put our worth in there. We, we put our esteem in that place as well. But, when the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he's talking to them about what motivates them to participate in this thing called the church, the thing that he is trying to correct in them is the idea that they will achieve their highest purpose through individual effort and notoriety, right? And the first thing he does in order to try and rein in this abuse that is happening in the church, where people are trying to achieve something through individual effort and through gaining the notoriety of their peers, is that he he teaches them about the complementary role of gifts or of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. This is, for Paul, the way he solves this problem. Paul tells the church that no matter what your gift or ability may be, everyone has been empowered by God to play a vital role in the church. Everyone. No one is exempt from their dependence on other people within the church. No one is exempt from their responsibility to play a role in the church. No one is exempt from the opportunity to step into the fullness of who God created them to be through the use of their gifts in the church. And he does this through the use of an analogy, right? Through the use of this analogy of the body. He says, is an eye everything an eye can be without an ear? No. Does, can, does a foot do everything a body needs it to do by itself without a hand? And the answer to that is no. Paul is attempting to communicate to his uh, original audience that they need one another. They, they literally need each other. That even though they might not even realize it, they are dependent upon one another 
And that each member of the body, each individual person, plays a vital role in their shared life together as a church. You see, here's the point this morning. You were created to play a vitally important role in the church. Each and every one of us. We at this church need you. We need you. We need your gifts, and we need your perspective, and we need your involvement, because if we don't have it, we are not the fullest version of ourselves. The church should be a place where everyone reaches their fullest God-given potential in a community of equality and love. This is what Paul is saying in this passage. A community where we find purpose, not through setting ourselves over and above other people, but by finding our place within the body of Christ. Interconnected to other people in the body. You see, the body image that Paul shares with the Corinthian church, I think, shows us three really important things about the way this this image of the church as a body Uh, should shape our view of life and our view of ourselves. The first thing I think it does this morning is that it, it it celebrates diversity in unity. This image of the body that Paul shares with us celebrates diversity in unity. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 17. He says this, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And the, uh, the biblical scholar, New, uh, John Howard Yoder, says it this way. He says, every member of the body has been given some gift by the same Holy Spirit, and that all of the gifts Uh, And all of those gifts are of equal dignity. Thus, each bearer of any gift is called, first of all, to a reciprocal recognition of all of the others. You see, in the church, we are not called to look the same, or talk the same, or bring the same gifts to the table. We are not called to have the same perspective on everything. We learn through this image of the body that every individual is uniquely gifted by God and by his Holy Spirit to play a diverse role in the church. A diverse role in the church. You see, the church is a place where we should celebrate diversity. Because we know that through the diversity of who we are, through the diversity of our experience, through the diversity of our gifts, even, we, can, we will meet our fullest potential as we uh, experience one another in our unique contribution to the church. That we will become our fullest selves as we become our true selves within the context of this relationship we call the church. The church is a place where diversity is not a uh, hindrance in any way, shape, or form. It is the very key to the unity that is required. It is the very key to the unity that allows a body of people to be all that God has created them to be. Diversity is a plus. I like to put it this way. Your weirdness is exactly why you're here. (laughs) Right? It's exactly why you're here. 
The thing that makes you weird might be the very thing God has for you to do and be in this place. And we want to affirm it. But, it, but it's, a, it's only a value to us if you bring it to the table, right? It's only a value to us if you bring it to the table. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing that I think this bo- image of the body tells us. This image promotes cooperation, promotes cooperation towards a shared vision. Again, the same scholar, John Howard Yoder, says this. He says, if we take Paul's vision of the body of Christ seriously, it would reorient the motion of ministry so that there would be no one ungifted, no one not called, no one not empowered, and no one dominated. Or or there's no domination in that system. Fascinating, right? You know, the church... In, uh, after the Protestant Reformation, one of the things that became a hallmark of the, of the Reformation was the, the tearing down of hierarchies in the church. So the priesthood as an institution kind of went away, and the belief was that there was no professional uh, mediator between God and man, that all people had equal access to God, and that all people in the language of Scripture uh, were priests of God. And that's a true statement. It's a true theological idea But in the West, I think that idea has been twisted in a sense to mean that I, as an individual, am that. Like, by myself, off in the corner, I am that. But the truth of the matter, I think that the Scriptures try to communicate to us, is we are all equal, we are uh, are all uh, gifted, we are all called, we are all empowered, we are all enabled, not as individuals, but as a collective as a group gathered together around Jesus. That is where our, the, our fullest expression of our calling to be God's people comes to bear. We, we don't bring it to bear quite the same way as individuals, as solitary souls out in the world. But it's rather as we promote cooperation towards a shared vision, as we all pitch in and we all participate and we all live together in community for the sake of Jesus, that, we be, that our lives begin to cohere and make more sense to us. That we'll be able to meet uh, our, our purpose as human beings, as we're able to be all that God has created us to be. So that's number two. The third thing I think this analogy of the body that Paul gives us here does is I think it offers us esteem. It offers us an esteem rooted in our identity. It gives us esteem, uh, personal self-esteem, that is rooted in real identity, not in false presentations of self. We are called to find our sense of self-esteem, our sense of purpose, our sense of significance in the body that we are privileged to belong to. The beauty of who you are comes to full fruition when you see who you are within the body of Christ. This is the way uh, one pastor, a guy named John MacArthur, puts it. I'm not a fan of everything John MacArthur says, but this is a really good quote, so we're going to run with it, all right? Uh, Here's what MacArthur says. He says, no matter how well grounded we may be in God's word, how theologically sound we may be, or how rigorously we may seek to serve him, our gifts will not operate so so that our lives can be spiritually productive until self is set aside in favor of the good of the body. Fascinating, right? 
We live in a world that is consistently telling us that our value is derived from what we can achieve on our own. This is what's constantly being communicated to us. It's just the water that we swim in. That, that it is under our own steam and our own initiative that we are going to accomplish what we were put on this earth to do. The way to achieve love is to be exceptional, we're told. And to stand out from the crowd in some significant way. And so we put forth effort in order to do that. But the picture we are given in Scripture is that the church that we are a part of is called to, as we are a part of it, we're called to find our identity and our esteem as we are rooted in what God is doing in and through his people. That's where we find our sense of true purpose. The church is a place where the ungifted and the overlooked and the dismissed are found to be of equal I I bear to say, even greater value than those that the world would say are of real value. You know, one of the most beautiful examples of this that I've come across is in the writing of uh, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Henry Nouwen. Uh, Nouwen was uh, a Catholic priest, but also uh, a psychologist, a professor at numerous colleges around uh, the country and around the world. But after he retired from academics, he moved to Canada to work for an organization called Layark that was dedicated to, that was dedicated to taking care of uh, mentally and physically disabled individuals. So this is what uh, he retired to do. And he writes uh, now and writes about a man that he was assigned to help, uh, a man named Adam. And Adam couldn't speak, and Adam uh, didn't really have any, even the ability to make facial expressions, to communicate uh, what he was feeling or what he needed. Nowen's job, this great academic, this man who had taught at Notre Dame and the Ivy League schools of America, now spent his days caring for Adam, getting Adam ready for his day. His whole life was dedicated to this man. And writing about the experience of caring for this mentally disabled uh, adult, this is what Nowen says. He says, Adam gave me a sense of belonging. Without having touched Adam, I don't know uh, who I would be today, where I would be today. Adam gave me a sense of belonging. You see, in the kingdom of God, we all have gifts. We all have a place. We all belong, regardless of disability, regardless of difficulty, regardless of status, regardless of any form of, of impairment. We all have a place, and we all have something to contribute you know, uh, after Nowen uh, joined the community at Layark, he still was a pretty sought-after speaker all over, all over the world. And so, when he, but when he would only take speaking engagements towards the end of his life if they allowed him to bring one of his friends along with him from Layark. And he very often, if that individual wanted to, gave them an opportunity to speak to the, to the congregation that had shown up to listen to Nowen speak. And he did this partially to communicate to these people of the broad spectrum that we find within the kingdom of God, within the church. Everyone, even the, uh, even the, the disabled, even the, those with difficulties, even those with uh, reading disabilities like I have, that we all have a place. We all have a place in the kingdom of God. 
We all have a place in the church, and your contribution, no matter what you may or may not think of yourself, is just as significant as this other person's. Whether, whether your gift is showy or flashy, and and, or it's not. We all have a place, and we are all worthy of equal dignity. It is within the church, it is within this community, this body of Christ, that we come and we are accepted and we are loved, not because we are exceptional, not because we are exceptional, but, but for just because of who we are and the gift that we have, whatever it might be. And here's the thing. We need one another. And the fascinating thing to me about the gifts that we bring to one another, is the, this is the most fascinating part about it. Very often in the church, it is your and my brokenness that ends up being the thing that blesses those who are around us. It is the difficulties we have encountered in our lives that God has brought us through that we can share with others. It is the pain we have experienced in our lives that can make us empathetic towards other people. It is, it, is, it is actually out of our brokenness that we are able to give to others and uh, within which our lives cohere and make sense, which is a fascinating paradox of the kingdom of God. It's a fascinating paradox that it is our brokenness that is actually of most service to the people that we, we come into contact with in the church, not our exceptionalism. It's not the things we're best at that are probably, uh, th- that we can contribute probably most often. Now, we all have gifts and we're all good at things and sh- we should bring those to bear in the church. We should. But the truth of the matter is, is that it doesn't matter even if you're not good at anything or you think you're not good at anything. Because you have a place. You have been gifted in some significant way to be a part of this thing called the church. And God has something for you to do. And the hard part about that is I don't know what it is. Sometimes people look at me and they go, Nick, uh, what should I do at the church? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a, I don't, I don't have like a, per, a, a personal development chart for every person who walks into the church, right? Like, here's the next thing. If I did, you would all hate me, first of all. And second of all, it's not how it works, is it? That's not how it works. There is something that you bring to the table that God has for you to do. And I don't know what it is, but we need it. We need it. We're less of a body without it. And so, Maybe the end of this message today is both a challenge and an encouragement of some kind. That for you to bring your full self to the church, to invest, to, to invest yourself in this place with these people. And I'm not just talking about showing up on Sunday, though I appreciate it. I'm talking about investing in the life of the community. Investing yourself relationally in other people, making yourself vulnerable, bringing your gifts, but also bringing your brokenness in some unique way. And as you do that, Paul seems to say that you, you fill out what it means for us to be us. That you fill in what it means for us to be us. For all I know, we might be running around without an eye, right? Or without a hand, or without a foot right now. And we need you. 
We need you to be that in some significant way. But the, but the other thing that Paul tells us is that as you, can, as you do that, what you will find is that your significance, the, the, the self-esteem, the value that you have for your life will cohere as you participate. As you participate in this thing called the body. I found this time and time and time again in my own life. That as I step in more and more fully to what it means to be a part of a church, what it means to be a part of a body, I discover stuff about myself that I never knew. Sometimes I discover that I'm quite angry <laughs> and, that I, and that I'm a little irritable. But other times I discover that I, I, I had an aptitude that maybe I didn't know I had, that I, I had some way that I contribute that could contribute that I wasn't aware of to begin with. It's this reality that is constantly uh, communicated in the scriptures that we as the people of God have a place. And maybe, just maybe, you need to hear this morning. If you're here, you just need to hear me say it. You have a place here. If you're in this room this morning, you have a place here. And if you're in this place this morning, you have something to contribute. And we don't, need, we don't need you to know that right off the bat. We don't need you to, uh, but as you enter into community, as you enter into relationship with other people, you, you are able to discover, to discern what it is that God has for you. And as you do that, your life will take on meaning and significance and purpose. You know, one of the things that bounces around a lot of times uh, in Christian culture, it's been happening for the last 20 years or so, is that people say, come to church, we'll help you find your purpose, Right? You hear this a lot. Find purpose is actually a, a mission statement of a lot of churches. And I believe it. I believe it's true. But I, I don't necessarily think it means, like, we'll help you find the, the job that's right for you, right? Like, like we're a job placement service. I don't think that's it. I think that that vision for purpose is found as we uh, gather together as the people of God, as we fulfill our role within the body of Christ as we live into that gift that God has given you, that he's asked you to pour out for other people. I think that's when we find purpose. I think that's when we find joy. I think that's when we find the type of community that we all want to be a part of. I think that's when we become the church, the body of Christ. So here's what I want to do. Would you stand with me this morning as we conclude? And I just want to pray for us this morning that God would help us at this church, at Grace Community Church, to be, become all that we, he has for us to be. And that each and every one of you would continue this process of stepping into what it means to be the people of God in this place. That you would find in some significant way your niche, your place, your, your mark in this place. And that the church would be better for it and you would be better for it. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we thank you for gathering us together this morning uh, on this beautiful Sunday morning. And we pray, God, I pray for my friends, actually. I pray for my friends that for those in this room that feel like their lives have not amounted to what they thought they would amount to, that happens a lot, especially when you get into middle age. Father, or who feel like they have not, um, they just not hit the nail on the head. I pray that you would help them to know that you have a place for them, that you created them with a purpose. You have a uh, you, have a, you have a significant role for them in your kingdom. And I pray that you would help them to discover that. And Father, I pray for all of us that, we would, that this church would not be a group of people uh, running around as, as solitary individuals, God. 
but that you would bind us together as the people of God, that you would build us into a spiritual house, Ephesians 2 says, where, uh, where your spirit could dwell and where we could give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Jesus, we thank you for this day, and I thank you for my friends. I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. All right. Well, if you brought a gift with you today, uh, you can place it in the box on your way out. Uh, If you, uh, yeah, so thanks. Thanks for being here. Go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.